The following podcast is brought to you by the Jonas Podcasting Network, found exclusively at wrestlingwithjonas.com. Welcome to another live episode of Wrestling with Jonas. I think we're up to episode 273 or thereabouts. So many episodes now, starting to lose count. Uh, but I've got a fantastic guest for a Friday evening. We're live across Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. And uh, today I've got with me renowned uh, trainer, booker, uh, professional wrestler, uh, the wonderful Paul Ash. Paul, how are you doing, my friend? Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, friend. It's, uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm busy. But, you know, busy's good. I'm good. Absolutely. And uh, we know that you've had a, a busy few days. We're going to touch on all of that very, very soon. But for anybody watching at home uh, live and you want to get in touch, you can do. If you want to ping your questions or your comments through for Paul, um, please do so using your chosen device. They'll come through to us and we'll do our very best to bring them up uh, live on air, of course, as long as they're all appropriate. Uh, maybe some inappropriate ones as well. Who knows? Uh, but, uh, Paul, great to have you on the show. I think we were clarifying a few points before we went live, and I think you confirmed that uh, you've been in the business for around 26 years now. So you must have been a boy when you started, my friend. Yeah, I was 19 when I started training, uh, 21 when I first started doing shows. So that's given away my age. I'm 45 years old now. Um, yeah, so it's been my entire adult life. Yeah, yeah, um, you're catching up with me, uh, but I think I'm one year older than you. But uh, uh, we will be talking about uh, everything UBW, uh, about your fantastic career in the ring as a trainer, as a booker. Uh, but first of all, I want to talk about this. Uh, this past Sunday, the 4th of December, UBW, the floor is lava five. Um, and... Um, why am I bringing that up? Well, it's because you made your long-awaited return to the rig. I think you're probably away only maybe a, a couple of three years, my friend. You might be able to fill us in on that. But uh, you did make your return to the ring in the Floor is Lava Rumble match. Um, tell us a bit about that. First of all, what prompted you to get back in the ring after a bit of an absence? And was it anything to do with Truman Roswell? That certainly added to it. I mean, there's, <laughs> a, there's, a, there's an ongoing midlife crisis in some ways or another. Um, but no, I think, you know, I've been training all the the up and coming Square One UBW students for so long. I really miss it every single week uh, and every single show that I'm, I'm helping out. I miss being in there. And I kind of thought, well, this is an opportunity for me to get back in there. I haven't got the pressure of a full match so I can I can get by with not having to be as cardio efficient as I would want to be. Um, and there's an opportunity to have some fun because my my. Lifelong friend, my tag partner, Phil Bedwell, was in there as well. It was an opportunity for us to get in there and have some fun. Uh, and it was an opportunity to throw around Adonis Payne, which I'm never going to say no to. <laughs> uh, and then I was running a bit of a thing with Truman Roswell as well. And uh, that picked up some steam the week leading into it. We had some good fun doing some promos back and forth. And uh, I thought, yeah, you know, I could step back in there. No problem. Three years off. Who's going to be rusty? Yeah, I, I found that out the hard way. <laughs> Rusty's there. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to bring up the picture of the former champion now, the former UBW British heavyweight champion. And uh, uh, apologies, Truman, if you're watching this. Uh, we're getting you on the show in January, so you can have your say in just a few weeks' time. Um, but um, 
you did enter the Rumble match, the Floyd's Lava match. You mentioned one or two of the combatants there. Um, and uh, give us your take on how the match went for you. To be honest, it, it went well. Um, far better than I expected. I honestly thought I was going to be in there about two minutes to start throwing up through cardio. Um, you, even after 26 years, you get out of ring shape very easily. And uh, I didn't do too bad with the cardio, but I forgot just how much it hurts to land on the ring. It's been a few years. And uh, I, everything went quite well. Uh, and then I ended up taking Truman Roswell's spin side job, spinning cutter, and landed particularly heavy and ended up with this bad boy. Yeah, look at that. That's so uh... taking some of that out. But yeah, my... My elbow is wrecked. That's a doozy, isn't it? Eh? That's a doozy. And speaking of a doozy, this was the picture you sent me, uh, probably on the day that it happened. Yeah. Um, and uh, yowza. What 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 uh, what was the prognosis of that? What 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 is the actual um, problem there? Uh, let's look at that. Um, luckily, uh, I was down A and E on Monday um, just to get checked out. Did some uh, X rays, and they said there's no fractures, no breaks. Uh, possibly I've ruptured the bursa, which is the protective sac you have here. Uh, but like I said, even if it is that, nothing you can do. It will heal in its own time. Um, just rest. So that's basically it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And did it give you the bug again to have more matches? And uh, like I say, there's still this beef between yourself and uh, Truman, which I don't think is fully resolved. He was certainly, you know, cutting some promos on you through socials, and uh, you did one or two back. I know that for sure. But um, uh, has the bug bitten you again, Paul? Do you want to get back in there and maybe take on the former champion, Truman Roswell? If you haven't read it, I would really, really recommend Roddy Piper's autobiography, Into the Pit. He mentions in it about wrestling, and he calls it the sickness, in that no matter what you do, you can never get rid of that bug, never get rid of that, that desire. It's always there. It's like an illness. It's like a, a, a craving constantly. And I got back in there, and, and this happened, and I thought, maybe that's a sign that I should be done now. I shouldn't be getting back in there. That was on Sunday. By Monday, I was thinking, I want to get back in there. So... <laughs> I'm now, I need to lose some weight. I need to get back into shape. But the prospect of a singles with Truman is quite um, palpable. And the option of getting back in there and doing a new breed one more time, yeah, I don't think I'm done just yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe with some elbow pads next time, though, Paul. That might... Uh... I think most definitely, yes. <laughs> Not that you need to take any advice from me at all, uh, but uh, maybe some elbow pads. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to bring up a picture now, and not to embarrass you, but unless, <laughs> Kip, unless Kip Sabian made a special appearance in the Rumble on Sunday, uh, what is going on here, my friends? Add a bit of context to that. I'm assuming so, that's you. <laughs> it, it is indeed. So uh, one of our absolute, one of the best wrestlers on the UBW roster uh, and I think he's one of the most unsung talents in the country right now, Ricky Calvay. He's been doing this for a couple of years now and he got inspired by Cody Rhodes, started doing the ugly bag over the head thing and he popped in shortly after me and while I was laying there reacting, kind of just almost relaxing and uh, trying to get my breath he took the opportunity to run over and go, there you go, and popped it on my head and I then thought, well you know what Maybe kind of like the baby mentality. If they can't see me, if I can't, sorry, if I can't see them, they can't see me. So I thought if I keep it on, then people will leave me alone. It didn't last. Yeah, 
Yeah, but uh, I won't bring that pitch up again. You've got my assurance on that for sure. One pitch I do want to bring up, though, is UBW, of course, have a brand new British heavyweight champion, Levi Muir. What a specimen. What a guy. Uh, I've met uh, Levi a few times up and down the country in 2022. Such an extraordinary talent. And he, of course, won the Flores Lava match. Um, so congratulations there. I'm sure Truman's not too happy. You'll have to find out when I interview him in January. But um, any thoughts on Levi? What, what, what a fantastic talent. I think Levi, personally, I think if you just said, uh, you know, give me your prototype of what a wrestler champion should look like, what a wrestler should look like. Someone that you could say, I'm going to put the marketing machine behind this person. They're going to be the figurehead of a company. You'd have Levi Muir. Obviously, he looks fantastic. He's got the credibility of the training behind him, training at WWE, training at Lance Storms. He's fantastic in ring. He's a great personality. He's got the right kind of mindset. He's he's literally the whole package. And you see him standing there with that belt. And you just look. And the first thing I thought was, that belt looks right on him. He's He's a star. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It'll be interesting to see what the future holds for the new UBW British champion. But um, as I said to you off air, I've had so many guests over the last, uh, certainly over the last year to 14 months, and probably going back further if I think about it, that have come on my podcast. And we've ended up talking about UBW until we're blue in the face, about what a fantastic company it is and what a gift it is to the British independent wrestling scene, uh, and what fantastic talent it's produced over the last nine or 10 years since its uh, inception. I think it started around 2012, 2013. <clears throat> but in a nutshell, Paul, I know you've been part of the promotion pretty much since day one, maybe since day one or before, but you must be pretty proud with everything you've seen, everything UBW has achieved and has become in that time. Yeah, immensely. Um, I mean, everyone that's come through there that has gone on, and I, and I was saying this to you before on the podcast as well, um, I've been looking around. I always keep my eyes on everything that's going on on the scene. And I noticed a few posters recently for, uh, for Sacrifice, for um, uh, I forget who else it was, but a couple of other companies. And a large proportion of the card is UBW trained talent. And you look at them and you can name off a few. You know, Charles Crowley, uh, Memes, Evie Madden, Tommy Kyle, uh, Truman Roswell, Ricky Calvay, Josh Spicer. These are permeating across the entire scene now and they're getting their name out there into into the local promotions out into the bigger promotions as well uh, and of course stevie turner from nxt yeah. uk is, is obviously my, my my proudest moment um but it's it's such a great lineup of stars that are out there and i i personally credit i don't credit myself okay i've trained these people up and they've done fantastic things but they have to have it in them themselves as well i can only help facilitate it and all I do is pass on the training that I got from my trainer, Justin Richards, who is fantastic. He trained some of the best the country's ever seen. Um, and I just give everyone the tools and the confidence. And then they go out there and do it themselves. Every single one of them is a star because they've got it in them. If I've been a part of that and I've helped them, that's fantastic. My focus is on bringing people up to the, up to the big time. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about some of those that have got, I mean, if you look at some of the real success stories, you mentioned Stevie Turner, uh, Bobby Tyler, that uh, has been doing some great things over the last year, two years with NXT UK and NXT and whatever else the future holds for uh, for Stevie there. Uh, Charles Crowley, who's become a sensation 
Um, certainly since the UK scene came back last summer, he's just exploded all over the country doing amazing things um, and just appears to have got over bigger than he ever could have imagined in progress with his recent return match against Elijah. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, and a former Young Lions champion and British heavyweight champion with UBW, of course. So many others. Tommy Kyle, which is an extraordinary talent, so innovative in his offense. Um, but to not only does he have the innovation, he's got the groundwork as well. He's got the tech skills as well. Um, and uh, like I say, I can keep going on and on. And of course, uh, Amin's, you know, what a fantastic talent he is. And for a big man, what he can do in the ring um, is truly phenomenal. So many more, so many more. Um, but um, let's talk about some of the newer talent that are breaking through and some that might have been making a bit of a name for themselves in some groups over the last year or so, but certainly the new breed, shall we call them, or, or, or you know, your boys and girls in uh, the Square One Training Academy. And I've got a little picture here, uh, a recent picture from uh, behind UBW. You've obviously got um, Harrison Lee on there. You've got Tony Sin, Adonis Payne, um, Artemis there. Not too familiar with the guy on the right-hand side, um, but I'm sure you'll kind of fill me in in a minute. Yourself in the centre there. Um, you know, and, and that's just... Uh, you know, Frankie Idol there, uh, or Freddie Idol, sorry. And then, of course, the um, the square one champion, Leo, Leo Edwards, um, and, of course, your tag team champions, uh, Artemis and Adonis Payne. Um, so a, a fantastic crop, and there's probably so many more that I haven't mentioned. Um, but uh, once again, this cycle just continues, doesn't it? And you just seem to have this formula um, that just seems to create fantastic wrestlers in your area. One of the things that I try and do, and again, I learned this from my trainer, from Justin Richards, um, I don't try and teach everyone to be the best wrestler that UBW can have. I teach them to be the best that they can be, and I teach everyone different. I know there's some schools out there where there's a set way they teach everyone the same, and then they let them work it out themselves. I try and customise it to every single person. My sessions now that I do every week, I don't take the beginners anymore. I'm now just working with the more advanced talents, the ones that are on shows or just coming up. And the focus of our sessions are, right, how do we do your stuff the best way for you? How do we personalize it? How do we make it fit your character or your gimmick? How do we make what you're doing make sense for you? And everything is customized. So when they're going out on the scene, they're an individual brand. And I'm always teaching them about how important branding is. If you're going to do this bunch of moves that you've seen, that's fantastic, but put your little stank on it yourself. <clears throat> and every single person, it's about making them the best version of them. I, I also try and use the Paul Heyman approach. Amplify their strengths and hide their weaknesses. And that's a key thing that a lot of people don't do. So then that way they're out there, they're being the best they can be. And, and it's obviously working um, because they're all getting out there and getting names for themselves. Um, and they're all lighting the place up. Like that picture there is one of the most happiest pictures I've had in wrestling for many years because that there is a crew. Um, you've got Harrison Leon, who is an absolute physical phenomenon. He's like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, athletic, good-looking, uh, tremendous charisma, which you can paraphrase a great person. You can't teach that. Tony Sin, who is an absolute natural at this, he's an antagonist, he's, he's a great character, he's great in the ring, he's always wrong, but he's a great, great talent. Adonis Payne, phenomenal yeah. natural talent for this, picked it up immediately, and everyone is seeing it now, he's getting a lot of places. Artemis, out of this world, just, just a, an enigma in terms of her style, her look, her way she works, 
she's got the right professionalism, the right mindset. She's so mature about everything. And she's just, the, the, there's no ceiling for her. And on the end there, a big beardy, that's Josh Spicer, who's our current uh, Young Lions champion. <clears throat> Phenomenal talent, been around a few years, hadn't really been used to his potential, came to us, wasn't the most confident in his own ability. But by working with me, he's now one of the lives of the locker room. He's one of the most colourful people. And all I've helped to try and do is give him that confidence to unlock what he's got inside. He's He belongs on any show at the moment. He's so good. Not even tapped into his ability yet. Yeah, and uh, apologies, Josh, for not recognising you on the end there. Of course, you are the current Young Lions champion. Um, but uh, And I want to ask you, how important is is that guy to your uh, to your left, but to the right of the photo there, uh, Tommy Kyle? Because I understand that he is an integral part of training a lot of that talent um, from the get-go, isn't he? Yeah, I was about to say that that guy in the picture is very important, Paul Ash. He's a very important guy. There you go. Uh, um, <laughs> so Tommy Kyle is incredibly important. Uh, on a professional and personal level, he's. I've always said with, with training schools, you get three types of people that come in. You get people that are natural; they pick it up straight away. They're destined for this. Crowley was one of those. Adonis Payne's another. You get people that aren't naturals. It takes them a bit longer, but they learn it and they get good at it. Um, Ricky Calvay was there at one point. Um, Memes had the right charisma, but he took a while to get the in ring. And you get some people that it's, they're just not destined for it. Tommy Kyle, day one, had it. He understood it. He was a, a, an absolute, almost savant in terms of the technical capabilities, the physical side of it, from day zero. And he's got a mind for it like no other. He's been promoted up in the last year or so to training at Square One, and he takes the beginners. He takes some of the middle level as well. And he gives them the, the foundations. And, you know, you look at people like Adonis Payne, Artemis, Arison Leon, Tony Sin, they started with Tommy Kyle. I've helped them become their individual selves and, and shape who they are as characters. But their fundamentals, their basics are because of Tommy. He is an incredible talent, great trainer. Uh, and he's been a very good friend to me over the years as well. He's helped me out on various occasions uh, on a lot of personal stuff. And me and him are kind of like parents to that lot. Um, I don't know which one of us is the father, which one is the mother. That's up to <laughs> But we, we literally like a pair of things. Excellent. And uh, we've, we've, we've had somebody reach out already via YouTube, uh, a certain turn, uh, Tom Hollyley. Um, have, you, have, you, <laughs> have you watched the Star Wars prequel yet? Damn it. <laughs> uh, I've been getting grief from him for so long. He's a massive Star Wars fan. Yeah. I like Star Wars. But I happen to mention that I've never watched the prequels. I then got threatened with being deleted from his, his phone book and never being spoken to again. And just a, just a torrent of abuse for about four hours straight. The answer is not yet, mate. I'm still trying to work through the first one. It was not good, so I'm I'm waiting. I've seen the other six, so don't worry so much. I'll get round. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Thank you, Tom, for watching. Uh, let me stick in with Square One and UBW because one thing that's always struck me as well. Whenever you release a card, there always seems to be a good mix of the newer talent up against an experienced pro, an experienced guy. And what a good example of that that didn't quite come to fruition was you was meant to have had Tony Sin versus Crowley at the last show. However, Smashing Mike stepped in at the 11th hour as a more than adequate uh, replacement for Crowley. Uh, Smashing Mike is, a, like I say, one of the best pros uh, there is in, in the area. Um, I had him on the show earlier on this year. Fantastic guy as well. And I'm sure they absolutely tore it up. But like I say, that 
pattern I, I, and i know kind of what you're going to say to me but like i say that pattern it really really does help the the younger newer talent to kind of flourish in the ring from uh somebody that's a bit more established but to, that's obviously something you do on purpose isn't it paul absolutely um you can put two newbies in there and they will be able to do their thing but they won't necessarily know because they won't have the experience, they won't necessarily know what to do if the crowd goes down or if the crowd starts losing it or if they, they forget what they're doing or they get a bit lost in there. The experience can help slow them down, tell them what to do, give them a bit of a, a pointer, uh, give them some, some, some moments, try and take the moments in rather than just going through the motions. Uh, and it's really key. And I think that's why I've got a very mixed roster as well, to have that balance of talent and new. And making sure that when we do these cards, we have those as much as possible um, working with each other. Like this this weekend, tomorrow, square one in Stevenage, come down. Um, we've got Freddie Idol, who is a great up-and-coming talent, working against Spike Valentine. <clears throat> Spike Valentine, former British champion, been around many years. Uh, I helped train him up when he first started out, and he was elsewhere, and he came back to us. Spike is an incredible talent. He'll be the veteran in this, and he will help bring Freddie up that next level because Freddie's only had a few matches so far. Spike's going to help him with the crowd, with the pacing, with the timing. It's going to help bring that extra level out of him. Uh, and it's where these these extra layers of the more experienced ones come in to get these up-and-comers to get that experience and get them more rounded. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And uh, for anybody that might be watching this and might be interested um, in getting involved in the wrestling game, getting involved in the wrestling business, starting their training. Um, how can they reach out? How can they get started specifically with, with yourself and with Tom at Square One? So we've just moved to a brand new facility in Hitchin, which is just out of Stevenage, straight out of the A1M. Uh, very easy to get to. Uh, it's a full functioning facility as well. We've got a training ring in there. We've got an entire weights area. It's a gym built into it as well. There are classes every day, all week, nonstop. You've got access i think it's from 7 to 11 throughout every day um and there's so much on offer there's beginners classes there's one-to-ones there's advanced classes there's seminars we've just had a seminar already dennis we've got another one coming up soon which i don't think i can mention who it is yet but it's a it's a big one to learn from um but square one on facebook you can go to them uh go to that page there speak to justin or myself and get get yourselves into it all whether you're a pro whether you're a, a newbie it's a fantastic place to get started or to get the reps in. We've got a lot of guys from um, the NXT UK guys were there regularly throughout the end of the pandemic when we started to track back up. Um, various progress guys go there as well. And it's a really good opportunity to get that all different levels of training. And it's very accessible as well. It's in the middle of the country, straight off the A1M. Uh, you know, I used to travel about two hours to get to training every week. So you know, most people can get there very easily. It's the most comprehensive training school around in the area by far. Yeah, absolutely. And with your, when you're with your your trainees um, at the Square One training camp, there, do you have any specific? Um, I, I know if we check your socials, you do post fairly often about your kind of philosophies uh, on on professional wrestling and things you like and things you don't like, and and do you kind of pass those opinions or philosophies down to your trainees in terms of how you think wrestling should be? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I have an open door policy with them in terms of they can always come to me and ask me stuff. I mean, literally, you know, I have a full-time job. 
But literally this week, I've spent a couple of hours every day talking to people about this weekend's event, um, advice on certain ideas they've had, feedback on moves they want to try, um, just hurling abuse at Tony Sin because it's what we do. Um, but yeah, I'm always trying to pass down those kind of ideas and philosophies. I say to everyone, there isn't a right way of doing this. There isn't a by the books way of doing it. There's various ways, there's various approaches. As long as it works, it's right in terms of the audience. But I teach them the stuff that's going to make sense and kind of get them the furthest. Be a brand. Uh, make your brand understandable. Make it likable. Make it connectable. Um, make stuff make sense. Understand you do have a bump card. <laughs> you really do yeah. have a bump card. Um, and just try and enjoy it. And it's getting those kind of mindsets in with people. So when I'm booking people on shows, I will have a bit of control over things and say, look, you know, don't do this or do do this or that kind of stuff because I'm trying to get them to have as much of a time out of it as, as I have if possible. So, yeah, I do give them a lot of grief about the way they should be doing things to help their career. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Let's take a deep dive into your fandom then, Paul, if we can. And uh, can you remember when professional wrestling first came into your life um, and what sort of impact did it have on you at the time? I remember it vividly. Um, it was 1991. I happened to stumble across it on TV. Uh, Sid Vicious was coming to the ring and I thought, what is that? What is that enormous human being on my television? He then destroyed somebody in about a minute flat and I was like, this is something quite special. And I kind of, it was WCW Worldwide and I, I then caught it all the time and it was just the pizzazz of it all, the characters, the, the, the grandioseness of it all. I was really taken by it and when I was at school, um, I didn't have any real hobbies. I wasn't into sport. I didn't have a wide circle of friends. Uh, kind of quite self-sufficient. I had Transformers, my He-Man figures. That was my kind of little world. So did and then I, all yeah. Was, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was this new thing that came into it, and it was real-life superheroes. So I'd seen people like He-Man. I'd seen people like um, uh, Thundercats. And all of a sudden, there was these superheroes come to life. And I was really kind of taken by it. And it, it really gave me an anchor to to find something to be passionate about, to put myself into. And it just completely took my life over. I watched every single minute of every single bit of programming that was on TV. It was everything to me. Yeah. And uh, who were some of the larger-than-life characters that really jumped out with you? You mentioned Sid Vicious there. He certainly jumped out at me when I was watching WWE or WWF back in the day, The Undertaker, Hogan, Ric Flair. But what about yourself? And um, did you all kind of taste or love for pro wrestling change as you got older? But start with the characters anyway. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the first guys that I saw that just kind of blew my mind was the Ultimate Warrior. And he's a very divisive wrestler for a lot of reasons. but looking at it one-dimensionally in terms of a wrestling character he was color he was vibrance he was uh, madness he was substances he was just this, this wild kind of wild man and i was absolutely blown away by that the first time i saw it um bret hart as well bret hart was this he was cool he was calm he was better than everybody else um razor ramon was a guy that the first time i saw him i really hated him but I couldn't help be drawn to him because he was so charismatic. Um, Vader was one of my first ones. I loved Vader. The man was just a monster. And you, if you watch Godzilla movies, this is in real life. Yeah. Um, so it was a lot of this kind of the bigger characters. And I think at the time, and everyone says this because 
you always the, the time you find a fandom is when you think is the golden era. It's nostalgia, which is fair. But I honestly think that the early 90s were some of the golden times because I came into it and you had Vader, Sting, Steve Austin, Barry Windham, Arn Anderson, Rick Rude, uh, Rick Flair, Razor Ramon, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. It was just a, a who's who of the best of all time. And it was I was kind of spoiled for choice of just watching quality wrestlers. And, and of course, that changed a lot over time when you go into things like the Attitude Era um, and tastes kind of varied. But, yeah, it was always about the bigger-than-life characters for me, always. Yeah. Did you eventually fall into uh, ECW at some stage? Because I noticed on your socials you have posted a few ECW clips in particular, uh, a very early match that I absolutely loved between uh, a very young Rey Mysterio and Psychosis, probably yeah. around 94, 95, uh, kind of early days of, of extreme championship wrestling. But um, uh, did you go more into the indies from kind of your teenage years onwards? I did. It was only when I met Phil Bedwell. Um, Phil, who's my, my, my closest friend in the world, and we've known each other since uh, 94. Uh, Phil was in the tape trading scene, which I didn't know anything about, really. Um, and he would get tapes from all over the world. And he got the first ever ECW pay-per-view, the night the line was crossed. And we sat and watched that, and I was just blown away that this is completely different to what I've seen on... I've been watching on one channel, Henry Godwin and... Um, uh, uh, Savio Vega, and all of a sudden I'm seeing Sabu and Rob Van Dam and, and, and Rey Mysterio, and I'm thinking, what is this? Yeah, It was just the Wild West. It was incredible. And yeah, I absolutely loved the original ECW. Um, Phil introduced me to the Japanese side of things as well, kind of New Japan, All Japan Women, and all of a sudden my world just exploded, and what I thought wrestling was just did that. But yeah, early days ECW, I still watch it now, and it's good and bad, but the good is, is something else. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I echo all of that because uh, I, I got into a bit of tape trading around the same time and uh, all the Japanese stuff uh, would come over to my house, all the ECW stuff and all the kind of uh, North American indies as well. So uh, such really, really good times. Um, we don't know how good we had it back then, to be honest with you. It was a, it was a bugger to get the footage, but when you got it, it was, it was golden for sure. Um, and, and did you always have a desire to maybe one day make it into the business yourself? Was that, you know, something, was that like a, a, a light bulb moment you, you walk past a training school and thought, right, I'm going to go there next week. Or was it something you always wanted to do, Paul? I never thought it was possible. Really? I was school. I hated sports. I tried to get out of doing sports at all costs. Um, I'm, I'm, like, I'm five nine in, in, in big boots. You know, I was always a uh, an unsporty, quiet, unassuming child. I thought something like that was completely out of the realms of possibility. Then I met Phil. Um, we used to have weekly matches in my back garden with a mattress, which we stole out of somebody's front yard. Um, should have done that. Um, God knows what happened on that. Um, and then back when, I mean, do you remember Power Slam magazine? Yeah. Yeah. Before it was Power Slam, it was called Superstars of Wrestling. Cool. And I used to it every week. I used to love it. I used to get all the news. And there was a little ad in there one week. And it said, two-day weekend training course at Hammerlock Wrestling. Hammerlock. Come along and learn how to be a wrestler. Phil found it and showed it to me and he went, let's do it. And every bit in my head was saying, this is not you. But there was a little bit of went, if you don't do it, you'll never forgive yourself. And it was just on a whim. We went, do you know what? Let's do it. Let's buy the tickets. We both had been bodybuilding for a few years. We both done karate for a while. So we kind of like, okay, you know, physicality, let's see how we go. And we just went down there and, and it just went from there. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so we're going to get into all of that in a minute. Just a, a few more people that have got in touch. Uh, I think this is uh, Glenn Barker via Facebook, but it hasn't popped up his name here. Great podcast, guys. Really enjoying this. Uh, thank you so much for watching. Do appreciate it. Um, and I think this is Andy uh, Howarth. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Square One is definitely the place. A decent start to a recent start to myself through my brother, and I don't regret a thing. So uh, thank you, Andy, for getting in touch there. Um, and uh, Tom, getting in touch again via YouTube. Thank you very much for watching, Tom. Um, is there any advice you've received from outside of wrestling that you apply to wrestling or vice versa? And if so, what's the piece of advice? That you'd pass on so a uh, really interesting question there tom i think i mentioned it before branding um being a brand in wrestling is what sets you apart you can have a fantastic move set you can have a fantastic character you can have a fantastic look if you aren't a brand you're going to find it so much harder and that branding encompasses everything it's your look it's your personality it's your persona it's what you sell to people um I studied advertising a bit for a while, and they say in advertising that you've got about three to five seconds of an advert starting to grab people's attention. And I push this onto everybody. Doesn't matter what you do in the ring. If you haven't got those people on your side, by the time you've got to the end of the aisleway, a lot of them will switch off. So I'm always banging on them about brandings, how you look, get the right gear, get the right look to yourself, have a tan, you know? Um, you don't have to be jacked up, but look like you believe in yourself. And, and I apply that into the real life as well, my everyday job. Me, Paul, the actual person, the idea of standing up in my job in front of a whole room full of people and doing a presentation, oh, God, I, I get sweats thinking about it. So when I go and I have to do those things, I become Paul Lash, the wrestler. Wow. And I put on the persona. And I have a very good thing at my, my shoot job of relationship management. I'm very good at working with people across departments. It's because I'm a wrestler when I'm there, and I, I channel that, and I am a brand when I'm there. Um, but that's honestly the thing that I tell everyone: branding and understand branding and advertising. It's, it's everything. Great advice. Great advice. Um, and off air, uh, we confirmed that you started training 26 years ago. Um, I think you said you were around 18, 19 years old. What were them early days, or maybe early months and years, like for yourself? Cutting your teeth learning the ropes quite literally um, and maybe getting the odd book in here and there. But uh, did you adapt well? Were you a good trainee? Did you take to it naturally? I think doing martial arts for a while was always a great help because you learn about discipline, you learn about attitude. Uh, and I always was always very, very focused on having the right attitude, um, being a student. So I took that into wrestling as well. And I was very fortunate that I had fantastic trainers in Justin Richards uh, and Andre Baker, who ran Hammerlock. Justin is uh, like Yoda to me and to many other people. If, if, Joe, uh, sorry, if Justin walked into my school now and said, everything you're doing is wrong, do it differently, I'd do it. I would take his word that much. Um, did I pick it up instantly? No. Uh, on day one, I was almost throwing up just by being dizzy. Um, but I kept at it. And one of the first things that was said to me and Phil was, you guys have got heart. And that's the most important thing. And we just wanted it. And we just always had the right attitude, always listened, always took advice, uh, and just kept plugging away. And yeah, the first few years, bearing in mind, Hammerlock was one of, I think, only two schools in the country, maybe. And the other one was way up north uh, to go to. So you didn't have a lot to pick from in terms of either training or shows. Um, but yeah, just plugged away and 
it was the wild west in the early days there was a lot of people that weren't that well trained uh and there was it was still that kind of crossover between the the old world of sport days and a few people still from those days and then this new kind of up-and-coming new version of wrestling kind of ecw style and it was that trying to meld those together wasn't easy and we were coming up from this side but trying to incorporate with this side yeah. it took a bit of work but luckily we were surrounded by a lot of very very good people like doug williams jody fleisch johnny storm justin richards just a lot of great talent at the time that were willing to help us yeah now correct me if i'm wrong i'm probably uh uh completely uh wrong here i don't know but uh, is there a dave taylor and a william regal connection with your training yeah yeah there is so it was uh, 2004 i think it was uh, i was training at drop kicks at the time and frank reimer who was the lead trainer there who, who passed away recently um rest his soul wonderful human being frank offered me the opportunity myself and a few others so martin stone aka danny birch from nxt <clears throat> uh, lee working cade who was a big star in the mid 2000s uh sky former female wrestler fantastic talent um and a couple of others who, whose names escaped me the opportunity to go over and train with dave taylor because he had connections with dave and dave was still running what was the blue bloods academy where he and William Regal had started that up in Atlanta, Georgia. And Dave basically wanted to get some more students over where possible. So we went over there, uh, two years running, and trained under Dave and Regal as well. Um, Regal came in. And Regal at this time was trying to get Daniel Bryan into the WWE. So he came along with Daniel Bryan to a few of our training sessions. And we got the chance to work with and train with both, both of the Blue Bloods and a little bit with Daniel Bryan as well. And unbelievable experience and i learned so much just in two weeks over two years with with both of those guys just phenomenal learning opportunity mm. any kind of anything in particular that uh, you feel you took away from those training sessions and seminars with with dave and with william um that you probably still practice or maybe teach out today yeah i mean a lot of it was just around kind of like attitude and discipline but lots of technical approaches. I mean, I'd done a few bits before this point in terms of rounds, matches, old school, old school kind of world of sports style. But they then made all of that stuff make sense. Where I'd had to kind of learn it on the fly, Dave and, and, and Regal helped teach that to make it make sense. Um, taught us a lot about, you know, working to the business and kind of how to, to mind your P's and Q's. Um, Regal taught us a tremendous amount about neck bridging. It would make us... You would do a thing where you have to walk backwards down a wall. Uh, and the basic thing was, if you can't touch your nose to the floor, it doesn't count. You would have us doing neck bridges over and over again to, to get our, our arches going properly and our bridging. Um, and it was just, it was great training. And it was just, yeah, let's just work you hard in 100 degree heat, get bumping, get moving, get stretching. And yeah, they put us through the ringer. And the second year we went, we had a, a day with, and again, it's a, a controversial name, but Chris Benoit. Yeah. The year before everything happened, uh, he came along and he trained with us for a whole day, and it was his day off. And him and Regal basically come up to us and said, right, you're going to get in there with us, and we're going to work. I said, well, what are we going to do? And they went, you'll find out. And we did uh, 60 minutes flat, straight, working just the two of them. And, and they were just working with us on the fly, nothing planned, just work with us. We'll put you in stuff, get out of it. 
we'll feed you things, work your way out of it. And I learned more in that one hour than all of the five, six years previous. It was unbelievable. Incredible, incredible. Now I'm going to bring up another picture here. And you mentioned his name already, but uh, look at them two good looking chaps there. Um, the, the, I think the new breed, wasn't it, was the, was the team. It was Ash and Curve. Obviously, yep. Curve is uh, Phil Bedwell. We'll talk uh, a bit more about him in a second. But uh, you two, like I say, good friends, got into the business together, started training together, um, and started teaming together as well. And I think what one company that particularly jumps out to mind is uh, FWA. And between 2000 and 2002, you picked up their tag straps twice, not once, but twice. And I think the first reign was over 400 days, 421 days, that first uh, title reign, which is truly phenomenal. And then you picked it up again. Um, and uh, I think you, you lost it to um, a pretty impressive combo. I think uh, Ulf Herman and Drew McDonald, you lost it to the second time round. But thinking back to them early days um, with Phil, with Curve, and I know that you guys have tagged, I'll say, over the last 20 years. Uh, but like I say, predominantly in the 2000s, mid-2000s, you two were a regular fixture on the tag team scene uh, up and down the country. Um, but certainly uh, that the FWA days uh, looked like a, an absolute blast and uh, a great amount of success for you two. Yeah, the FWA was, um, it's the best way of putting it, the FWA wasn't so much a wrestling promotion, it was a happening. It was, it was, a, it was, a, it was like a fixed point in time. When the FWA started, ECW was kind of the hot thing at the time, and the American Indies were starting to come up. When we were in the, in the FWA, we treated it like ECW in the sense of we are this new generation of all these young upstarts, George Costano, Paul Travell, um, Scotty Rock, uh, Scott Parker, myself and Phil, uh, and all these other people who nobody knew. And we weren't the old school. So there was a little bit of kind of like, you know, uh, who are these people coming in and changing what wrestling is? Um, so we took it upon ourselves to treat it like ECW in the sense of we're trying to change what the, the status quo is. We're trying to bring wrestling back to life. We're going to do things differently. We're going to do things in a very unusual way. How it hasn't been done before. Um, you've got all these guys who look very different. You've got all these guys with very different characters. We're a little bit, counterculture, a little bit of punk rock, we're a little bit alternative. This is what we are. And it exploded. It was the biggest company in the UK for quite a long while. Uh, first company to have a, a TV program. Uh, we were on mainstream TV as well. And it launched the careers of so many people. It was a community, literally. It sounds cheesy, but it was. And we all were working together to make this thing happen, to bring wrestling back to life. When myself and Phil started there, there wasn't a tag team scene. I think there was only one other regular tag team going, which was the UK Pitbulls. Apart from that, I don't think there was any other regular teams. And we wanted to bring tag team wrestling to life. And that was the kind of vehicle to do it. And that 400-day reign helped build a tag team scene. And, yeah, it was, it was just a phenomenal ride at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I say, you guys have been lifelong friends, uh, friends throughout your wrestling career up until today. And we'll talk a little bit more about Phil in a second. But do you have any, any fond memories or fond matches that you're particularly proud of from uh, you two being on the scene together um, as the new breed for all them years? And in particular, like I say, them, uh, uh, them, them glory days of the early and mid-2000s. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely not that picture where we're both really, really skinny. That's not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, we were extremely lucky that we were surrounded by some great talents. We had the early days working with George Costano and Scotty Rock, who were a tag team called the Misfits. George Costano is uh, a fantastic talent. He's like a cross between Kurt Angle uh, and a Tasmanian Devil. George had this wonderful thing. He would grab you and throw you, and you would on, off, quite often say, George, what, what, what are you doing? What's happening? Oh, it's okay. It's okay. And he'd start to throw you, and you go, what's going? And he'd throw you, and he'd go, suplex, as you're flying through the air. Thanks, George. Um, but he taught us so much. We were very lucky to work with the UK Pitbulls early on, two unbelievable talents, two super heavyweights that can move like they're 100 pounds lighter than they are, tremendous psychology, tremendous characters. The minute they walk out, everyone's just, whoa, these guys. Wonderful time, wonderful chemistry working with them. And I think one of our proudest ones is this two. 2001, we worked uh, a young tag team called The Boys, uh, long before the Amazon TV show. Uh, Sticks was one half, and another guy called Pliers. Uh, Pliers didn't carry on in the wrestling business. Wonderful guy, but he had other things going on. But Sticks' first ever, I think possibly his second ever match. And we went in there with them, and both of them, between them, had like you know one, maybe two matches at, at most. So it was on us to try and carry them through it didn't have to they were great natural talents but we had what was match of the night and one of the best matches around that time <clears throat> with these two guys who hadn't done anything completely new and between the four of us we created something beautiful and then the year following that we had it was a tag team gauntlet match uh several teams and we come in and then the pitbulls come in at the end of murderous and it was this very risky thing of like a tag team gauntlet match can lose people because it goes on a while there's a lot going on we had, it was in Walthamstow, our hometown. We had the entire place on their feet by the end of that match. And it was just, it, you could feel the people in the building. And we created something quite beautiful, all of us together that night. Um, and that was definitely one of our proudest moments. It was just, it was a phenomenal match. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we have somebody else uh, get in touch, watching via Facebook. Uh, I love the FWA long before 1PW, um, who are my first UK wrestling shows during my teenage years. Uh, I miss those years. I think a lot of people do, to be honest with you. Um, and sticking with, with Curve or Phil Bedwell, um, uh, he was at the most recent UBW show, wasn't he, this past Sunday? And I've got a picture here where he teamed with another good friend of yours, uh, uh, Skip, of course, Sunset Skip versus the tag team champions the odyssey for the uh, for the straps for the titles um and uh there they are there hulking up getting ready for the show um and of course uh i think this was possibly well maybe a different show but uh there we go you're embracing your uh good long time friend there phil but uh, what was it like to kind of have him back um on a ubw card this past sunday i know let's say you making your return as well uh, must have been a special occasion for you both yeah, it's always fantastic having Phil around. I mean, we are, we are literally as close as brothers uh, and we can just connect in with each other so easily. But he's got such a plethora of knowledge and talent to give to the younger generation. Uh, since he's been back doing shows, he's been able to be in there with Adonis Payne, uh, with Truman Roswell, uh, this week with Adonis again and an Artemis. And he's got so much knowledge, so much experience to pass on and help people learn, help people get better. 
He's great with the crowd. He's a great character. The minute he walks out, he's engaging. He's he he was always the the charisma and the the character of the team when we were tagging. I was always the one that got the life beaten out of me, and Phil would make the save. But Phil was Phil taught me how to be a character in wrestling. I had no idea, but he would work the apron. He would get the crowd going. He would be the charisma when we're in there. And in our early matches, you can literally see me looking to him what he's doing so I knew what to do he I've seen him have a crowd in the palm of his hand he he gets it he understands it and he's yeah he's so good to have around because he again he wants the younger generation to, to learn and to help them and he's he's there for advice and uh, yeah it's great having him back there and and of course Skip we go back 20 years uh, I've, I've done the roads with Skip I've lived with Skip um we are very close as well. And it was so good having two of my closest friends in the wrestling business sitting next to me, um, just criticizing me about, you're going to blow up in about two minutes. It was great. Oh, I hope they didn't rib you about the injury after the match. I hope they didn't rib you. They may well have done, maybe a little bit, who knows. But uh, once again, another example of, like I say, uh, established uh, veterans of the scene, giving back to the industry, giving back to the younger talent, and uh, I'd say a, a fantastic match was had, I'm sure. Um, and just looking at some of your your singles uh, action as well, and in particular some of the talent that you would have faced in the mid to late 2000s, the likes of Johnny Kidd. Uh, you mentioned the UK Pitbulls with, with Curve, of course. Frankie Sloan, Martin Stone, Johnny Storm, uh, Doug Williams, um, and so many more. That must have been, I know that you would have been a few years into the business already yourself, but still facing some of those talents must have been a real education for yourself and a, a fun time in the ring as well. Yeah, I mean, when I worked with Johnny Kidd, um, obviously I'd, I'd done bits and pieces of the style, of the world of sports style, but never to the degree that Johnny had. Um, and it was, it was the, Johnny is such a talent. He, he was always... You were always told this thing about Johnny. It was like a like an urban myth that Johnny will put himself into holds and you won't know. And you'll find yourself, all of a sudden, you've got him in a hold and you didn't put it on. And yeah, that'd be so stupid. Uh, and I, I found that out to be very true. You'd be working with him and all of a sudden you'd go, where did that happen? And he's on the floor. <laughs> and it was just an experience of learning with him. And I took some things along that I'd seen on World of Sport, which he was really excited to do. And we had a wonderful time wrestling together and, and phenomenal, phenomenal human being. Um, working with Doug, this is after Doug had done Noah. So it was a very different Doug to I'd, I'd come through in the FWA with. Um, very different style, but Doug's unbelievable as a performer. Johnny as well. I've known Johnny since day one. Um, again, easy night working with Johnny. It's just, yeah. it's so automatic because he's so good. I think, Possibly, I honestly think Johnny's the best of all time that the UK's ever produced. I really do. Um, and yeah, there's so many others. I was very fortunate to work with just constant great talent throughout the mid to late 2000s. It was it was educational, at least. Yeah, and, and something that struck me while I was doing my research and looking at all their names around that period of time, that, that also appeared to me to be the time when you started to really hit your stride as a performer as well, and in particular as a solo act. Um, don't know if you'd agree with me there, but the kind of the, the mid to late 2000s as a solo performer in particular seemed to be your time. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until about 2003 that I actually started doing solo stuff, and I had zero confidence to do it at first. Um, and it was almost like starting completely again. Uh, but I was very fortunate to have a lot of great talent to work with. Um, and, yeah, I think because it was about 
06 ish that I started working in IPW, um, tagging again, but tagging with a guy called Chris Linnell, and we had a run there. Um, and it was there when I kind of really got into a rhythm and I was confident in myself. I was confident being ex experienced and I could go in there and, and lead a match and I could lead people and I could work with upper talents and stuff. And yeah, it was just a, a good run of quite a few years of just one after the other. And I think having confidence in yourself and your ability is the key thing. And luckily at that point I had that. Yeah, uh, well, one match that really jumped out at me was uh, uh, the tag, uh, the cage match you had with Chris Linnell in 2006 with IPWUK. Uh, what do you remember about that? Because the, the photos and the footage that uh, I, I have uh, been able to uh, unearth, um, it looks like a pretty brutal match. Uh, you went through the ringer, um, you bled a bit as well. Uh, what do you remember about that one? That, that certainly seems to be a match from your solo career that really stands out. So I was going into that match. Uh, it was a retirement match. The idea would be that that was my done. I was finished and done that night. Um, I'd had a shoulder injury a few months prior. I'd torn my labrum, which is the same injury that uh, Seamus had. Yeah. Um, and stupidly, as, as wrestlers do, I didn't get it seen to, didn't get it surgically done or anything. I just took a tremendous amount of painkillers. Um, and going into that match, I was not in a very good physical or mental state whatsoever. Um, one, facing the prospect that my wrestling career was over, long before his time, as I felt. Um, two, the fact that I was dealing with, quite honestly, a, a painkiller addiction. Uh, and I was, mentally, I was suffering quite bad of a lot of things. So going into that match, my mindset was just, I'll leave everything in here and take all the risks possible. Because if I end up long-term damage from this, yeah. At least I've gone out on a high, which is a really stupid mindset to have. It really is. But yeah, I went into that with my shoulder in pieces. I could, could barely even lift it. Um, I took a tremendous amount of pain medication and uh, Red Bull to get through it. And I was just giving Chris all these stupid things like give me an RKO off the top of the, off the cage, um, drop kick my head into the cage, give me a DDT off the top and all of this kind of stuff. And it was going fine until the RKO from the top. And as I landed, I felt the partial tear tear completely through. And I literally just laid down and went, Chris, it's time we go home. And he's like, Are you sure? It's time we go home, Chris. I'm 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 on borrowed time. And then we got through the end of it. And um yeah, I then took a, a while off. I was off and out of wrestling for about a year, healing up. Um and of course the sickness is there. You come back, you do it again. But uh, <laughs> It was a very, very physical match because my mindset going into it was just it was quite self-destructive. But I'm very proud of it. I think we created something amazing. Um, it was just very painful. Very painful. Yeah. And I just want to remind anybody watching live at home, uh, we've still got a few minutes. So if you've got any questions uh, you want to send uh, Paul Ash's way, then please do so. Um, but I'm going to bring up a picture. You mentioned about Skip, Sunset Skip, a moment ago. And another guy that I think kind of... Uh, weaves in and out of your career throughout the majority of career, your career is this guy here, RJ Singh, um, and there's Skip and RJ there. Um, I'm assuming that RJ is somebody that you've known for many years, performed with, uh, booked, and uh, probably uh, had a, a pint with or two. Um, but uh, any fond memories of working with uh, RJ over the years? Yeah, Little Dragon's the best. Little Dragon is the absolute best. Um RJ first started training at the FWA school when myself and Phil were about three years in to, to wrestling. 
Uh, and again, natural, immediate natural talent. He was kind of leading the juniors class after about six months of training. Wow. Um, phenomenal mind for the business. Um, the Peter Pan of wrestling, he doesn't age. I've had the pleasure of working with RJ many times in tags and singles. We worked together quite a bit in Lucha Britannia. Uh, he's just so good. And myself, Phil, Skip and RJ have a group chat uh, every day. And a lot of it is kind of like, a lot of it is just friendship. You know, it's just, let's keep in touch with each other. It's very important, I think, after COVID. I think you've got a bit of a kind of different appreciation of time and people. And I think we've kind of got together that for that reason. Like, you know, let's keep in touch with each other. Let's make sure everyone else is okay. Let's keep our friendship going. And we meet up as often as we can. We're actually meeting up next weekend for our annual Christmas do, where we'll just sit down and be old and talk about the old days. Um, but yeah, you know, it's people that you've gone through the trenches with and been through the wars with, like you think between the four of us, we've seen every, every age of the British wrestling scene from the end of the world of sport era to the FWA days, to the, the explosion of the imports and stuff in the mid two thousands to the modern scene where we are now, we've been through all of it. We've seen everyone come and go. Um, and we've all kind of got the same kind of war wounds, if you will. But yeah, RJ's a phenomenal person. You, he's one of those people you won't find somebody in wrestling that doesn't like him. He's all really annoying in that sense. Nobody dislikes him. He's a, he's a wonderful guy. 100%. 100%. And um, now, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think 2013 marks the 10th anniversary of UBW. And uh, I think you've been there pretty much from the beginning. H how does your journey with UBW start? How were you first introduced? And how do you become part of that journey? So I started out oh God, just as talent. Um, I was working on another show that uh, some friends came along to, including uh, Justin, who runs UBW. Mm -hmm. And he basically said, oh, I'd love to get the new breed on. I said, yep, fine. So we worked the first show, which was a, a banger of a show in, uh, I think it was St. Albans. And from about show two onwards, I was kind of helping with some of the booking, helping with some of the match layouts with some of the younger talent. And after about the third show, I stepped in to help out with a few bits and pieces because one of the original uh, people that was running it moved on. So I then stepped in to help out of my experience to, to practice. Uh, and I was also helping out at the, FW, at FWI, the UBW school at that time. Uh, and it kind of picked up from there in terms of taking up the full-time head trainer at the school, um, leading the booking team for the UBW shows. Uh, and kind of getting everybody up to speed. And it, what was going to be kind of a helping point became everything. And I, I'm, yeah, I, I basically now book the talent. I teach the talent. Um, I do all the, all the outreach, all the graphics, all the social media, uh, along with a couple of others. Uh, Justin does all the behind the scenes, all the booking of the city venues, all the organization, the business side. Uh, and then I'm on the creative side. And between us, we try and run it as the way it is now um but yeah it's just grown and grown and yeah next year's our 10-year anniversary yeah and it's quite mental i think we're up to about 90 shows we've run now in our time um so yeah it's going to be a really good 10-year anniversary and i just look back and think of everyone that's come through uh and i'm very very proud of all of them yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to try my best to get down there for that 10th anniversary. I think it's going to be a show that you don't want to miss. Um, now, this past summer, or maybe uh, kind of early uh, autumn, um, this guy here, 
CJ Carter announced his retirement due to uh, injuries. Um, I know that CJ is another person that's very close to your heart, somebody that you've got to know very well over the years. Um, and of course, I'm going to bring that graphic up one more time because UBW did a special thank you to CJ Carter celebration in October, um, which was a real momentous occasion, a fantastic uh, show. And uh, there you see Chris or CJ uh, with uh, both UBW belts there during that show. Um, so a fantastic show, a great send-off for Chris, but a hell of a talent. Um, and like I say, such a shame that he's had to retire so early and um, probably one of the most underrated UK talents out there. Um, and uh, what, what were your kind of thoughts on CJ? Like I say, he had a phenomenal career um, and uh, I'm guessing another good friend of yours. Yeah, and it's funny because CJ came along to the old UBW school one Sunday uh, and mentioned that he'd known me for years. And I've got a terrible memory at the best of times, but I was just kind of thought, I can't place him. And then I actually thought that I knew him from a previous uh, training school, whereas it was actually from a completely different one. So we went a good year of me thinking that I knew him from X when I actually knew him from Y. But um, no, Chris is, it's a, it's a crime that he didn't get more than he got he is as good as anyone else out there on the scene and he should have been right up at the main top of it all i think um ubw's kind of in two phases there was the bit up until end of 2017 where we were doing okay very small time and then in 2017 2018 it kind of turned around and that was when the likes of uh, crowley memes tommy kyle truman all came up but it's when CJ came in as well. And there was an immediate uptake in the quality of everything because he's so good. He's the man that helped build Charles Crowley. And I think Crowley would be quite happy to say that as well. His rivalry with Crowley at the beginning helped make Crowley. His work with, with um, Percy Trainer, with, with Memes, with Tommy Kyle helped elevate all of them. And he was the most consistent, high-octane, wow factor on every show that we did and he helped he was one of the people that really helped take our brand and our product up another level and he was he always delivered and one of the best talents i've ever had the privilege of booking on a show absolutely beyond words how good he was and he never got a chance to really show the world just how good he was yeah, absolutely. I, I had a privilege of interviewing CJ probably back in the 2019 in one of my first ever actual interviews. Um, and uh, he was absolutely fantastic. Still one of my favourite interviews today. Um, and such a great guy. And like I say, when I was seeing him backstage at shows this year, he was always very nice and uh, always remembered me and shook me by the hand. We had a good chat. Um, but um, yeah, top guy. Um, and I'm sure we'll see him um, at shows up and down the country um, in the coming years for sure. Um, I want to talk to you about this now then, Paul, um, from The Ashes, your very own podcast. Um, and um, it's been going for nearly a couple of years. Now started, I think, February 2021. So approaching its two-year anniversary, unless I'm mistaken, you have interviewed um, the, the, the biggest and the best names uh, from the UK scene and uh, a lot of uh, UBW trained talent um, and uh, guys from that group that have made it great. Um, but uh, what what was it that prompted you to start that show to start off with then, Paul? What was the kind of the inspiration behind it? Boredom in lockdown was a big part of it. 
that was kind of I've been toying with the idea for a while, but lockdown kind of gave me the opportunity to do it. But also, it's to get people out there who aren't necessarily the buzz names. So it's very easy to get some of the biggest names that are working the big shows that are on TV, that are, that are on Progress's radar, or on Progress's shows, or NXT UK talent. It's very easy to get those people on um, and and have them involved. And absolutely, why not? They're talents. They're big names. But there's not as much opportunity necessarily for the younger talent that are still on their way up and coming up. So I wanted to use my podcast as an option for people to start learning who these people are. Who is Adonis Payne? Who is um, Tommy Kyle? Who is Truman Wasrell? What are they about? What's their journey been like so far? To kind of get people understanding who these people are, learn about the person behind the wrestler, and start to get their name out there, start to get them a bit of exposure, and help build them up. Um, and, and that was the entire plan of it. Uh, and it's it's helped a few people, definitely. And it's mm. small time. It's a humble little podcast. But the entire idea is to get the people that aren't necessarily stars yet, get them out there, get them seen by people, and get their name on people's lips. And it, that's the entire idea of it. Yeah, and you're up to season three now. So congratulations on your your run of uh, fantastic episodes up to season three. And you're going to continue with this, I'm assuming. You're having fun with it. And uh, season four, five and six will be coming uh, in the coming years. But uh, you're having fun with it and you're going to continue with it, Paul, I'm assuming. Yeah, I've got two in the can I've recorded that I need to get around to editing. It's been a bit busy. Um, But there over the next couple of weeks to get them out. And then I've got a few more people I want to do to finish off season three. And I kind of had a focus on each season of a kind of a theme. That like the first season was people that have really made an impact for UBW and on the scene. Um, talk about them a bit more. Season two was a lot kind of our old friends um, getting get some kind of old conversations going. Season three has been about the next gen, yeah. so the people that are now starting to make some noise, starting to come through. Uh, season four, who knows what it will be? Maybe maybe I'll get people to interview me. Um, but I am going to plan a session. Uh, myself and Tommy Kyle, just having a talk about the trainees that have come through and what we've been doing as trainers to bring them up. And I think that'll be an interesting little deep dive as well. So, yeah, still got a lot planned to do. Yeah, can't wait for that for sure. Um, and uh, highly recommend it. Uh, go and check it out wherever you download your podcast. But uh, we did have somebody reach out to us before we went live tonight. So now it's from a, uh, it was from a, an anonymous, anonymous person um, asking a few questions there. Um, what what size are your boots? Uh, princess shapes and turkey dinosaurs or turkey dinosaurs? Cole Fury and Major Lee Rotten. Um, any insight at all into any of those questions? I'd say the person who sent it to me, completely anonymous, uh, didn't even have a, a face in their kind of icon picture or anything. Couldn't track it down, honestly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all I can say is that I won't skip over these <laughs> questions, um, even though. It's- sunset outside um yeah to answer your questions my friend um nine turkey dinosaurs definitely the major (laughs) thank you uh anonymous uh, fan of the show Uh, but uh as we start to wind down now um we've had a fantastic conversation really really enjoyed this but uh, looking back over your your 25 years what would you say has been probably your top one or two proudest moments within that time, whether it be as a as a talent, as a, as a booker, as a trainer. Um, what would you say some of them, one or two moments you can really look back on and be 
ultimately proud until until the very last day. Easy one, first off, having a WWE tryout. Um, before WWE tryouts in the UK were really a thing, this was 2004-ish. Um, before it was a regular thing, every time they come over, they, they didn't do it back then. Uh, and I, <laughs> because I was the most experienced, I had to do three matches back-to-back. I worked Martin Stone, Sky, and Lee Working Cade, one after the other. That wouldn't have been as bad were it not for the fact that the entire Raw roster was around the ring. So I'm wrestling these three matches, looking out, and I'm seeing Chris Jericho, Kane, the Dudley Boys, Ric Flair, Steve Austin, and Triple H. Watching it work. It was terrifying, but at the same time, empowering. Um, to get a chance to do that when when tryouts really weren't a thing, getting told afterwards, um, you know, you, you did you did good, just keep working at your stuff rather than just you're awful, get out of here, um, and getting a chance to be seen by the literally the living legends of the business, it's just indescribable. It was amazing. Um, it was just mind blowing, uh, but that was a lot of fun. And I think on top of that, it's just everyone that's come through UBW that I've trained up. I mean, obviously at the top of the tree, Stevie Turner having made it to stardom in Japan, made it to NXT UK, making it to the big time. And she's going to be a focal point and a big star going forward. She is uh, my protege. She's like a daughter to me. Um, seeing her go out and own the world is incredible. Seeing Crowley just become the biggest star that I knew he would be and be the biggest talent, the biggest character on the UK scene must-see kind of talent. And then everybody else from there, from memes to Tommy Kyle, Truman Roswell, Evie Madden, uh, the Von Englands, everyone else that I've had the pleasure of training that has become a must-see talent or a name. Um, tremendous pride in them. They call me dad. I'm not paying child support despite that. <laughs> um, but they are like my kids, and I'm just so proud of them when they go out there and they, they're making the impact they have. Two good examples there, absolutely. And then you mentioned this show tomorrow, uh, the Square One show, um, December to remember, December the 10th. Um, tell us a bit about that. Looks like, looks like a, an interesting poster, an interesting card, um, uh, featuring a lot of the trainees we've spoken about today. Yeah. Well, it was November to remember, and it was a month ago. Um, we had to cancel the show last minute for some... Uh, administrative issues um but we kept the poster so hence why it's a kind of viva vendetta theme in december that's the reasoning but nonetheless um yeah tremendous lineup of talent you've got leo edwards there the square one champion uh, mini thor as we call him uh great young talent he's carrying that belt with pride and he's been a great champion um he's come so far and he's he's a young veteran that one um you've got the odyssey they're in the top right-hand corner. Uh, they just just blow everybody away every time they're out there. Spike Valentine, uh, one of my closest, most uh, proud people I've worked with in the business. Uh, so proud making him champion a couple of years back. Uh, Spicer, um, so happy to see him carry a belt because he's such a talent. On the other side, you've got Harrison up on top. Great up-and-coming talent. Going to set the world alight soon. Rags, up-and-coming talent. Um, trained by Tommy Kyle. Uh, he's got a lot of upside to happen, still very young. Aidan White, 
down there on the top left hand or middle left hand side. Um, Aiden has trained a play fight under Car Noir, and he's a natural. He's going to be a big star. Um, Josh King. I honestly think Josh King is one of the most underrated stars out there right now. He is unbelievably good, and I can't wait to be doing more with him next year. And then at the bottom left, we've got Rain, who I think is the waiting to break out talent of the UK. She is so unbelievably good. Hasn't even come close to showing the world what she can do. She's well-trained. She's got the right attitude. She's absolutely crazy. And she's just so good. I can't wait to see her just completely set the scene alight next year. There we go. And that's uh, the Barnwell Upper School in Stevenage. So, uh, like I say, if you want a, a wrestling show to get your teeth into tomorrow, that is the place to be for sure. Um, Paul, we're nearly at the end of this live episode of Wrestling with Jonas. But before we ask you for your socials, I need to enlighten my audience on who our next few guests are to see us through to the end of the year, through the remainder of December. And first of all, next Tuesday, I've got former NXT UK star Sam Gradwell coming onto the show. I met Sam recently at a show in Burnley. And uh, like I say, he's happy to jump on the podcast. And you'll be able to see him next Tuesday live on Wrestling With Jonas. And then uh, the following week, I've got that lovely young lady there, Aluna Blue, Wednesday, the 21st of December. I think Aluna's actually featured on a, featured on a UBW show this year, Paul, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Aluna will be my live guest on Wednesday, the 21st of December. Um, and that will be my last live guest of the year. Um, but uh, if you haven't already caught it, please check out part one of my Asian Street interview, which is already up there. Uh, on YouTube and uh, all the audio platforms. But part two of my Adrian Street interview will be out uh, on December the 28th. Adrian Street and Miss Linda, part two, part of my Legends Masterclass series. Previous uh, guests have included Marty Jones, Tony St. Clair, but uh, Adrian Street and Miss Linda, part two, another fantastic uh, episode of Wrestling with Jonas, the Legends Masterclass uh, that you are not going to want to miss. Uh, but uh, Paul, um, so some good guests there, some you might know uh, well and maybe not so know, but uh, a good lineup to see us through to the end of the year there, my friend. Yeah, Aluda Blue is a fantastic talent. We're trying to align diaries at the moment to get some more work together, but she's so good and she's got so much hunger and desire. She's going to be a big star. And of course, um, Adrian Street, one of the cornerstones of British wrestling. Uh, everyone should watch that in terms of learning about being a character. Um, he invented being a character. Tremendous. 100%. Absolutely. Um, but uh, just before we uh, kind of uh, stop the stream here, Paul, uh, an opportunity for you to throw out to any of my listeners or viewers, if they want to reach out and say hi, get to know a bit more about Paul Ash, see some of your footage, um, or just, uh, like I say, approach you and uh, like I say, say hello, where can they do so across your socials, my friend? Cool. Yeah. So my PayPal is... Uh, <laughs> um, you nearly got uh, me. <laughs> on Facebook, um i've got my my wrestler page there. i think it's um ash landing 77 it's paul ash wrestler i don't update it much because i'm not really active at the moment but there occasionally will be bits and pieces on there uh i've got an instagram ash 77 it's generally just pictures of my toys i won't lie it's mostly just this <laughs> There's not that much <laughs> nothing wrong with that uh, at all no really all i would say is if you want to follow me on the socials follow ubw and square one follow uh ubw um on all the socials uh, and YouTube as well. UBW, we are UBW. It is is the uh, handle on all of our socials. Uh, tons of content on YouTube. Uh, I'm, I've got my own little channel on YouTube with all my old stuff. 
lot of it's recorded on camcorder, so it's a bit grainy, but still, it's there. But yeah, follow YouTube rather, uh, follow UBW rather than me. Far more interesting, and that's where my investment is. Um, yeah, just subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's a lot of content on there. There's a ton more to go up soon, actually. It's my busy Christmas. Yeah, we'll make sure that all the links to all of those, especially the UBW uh, content, is in the description to this podcast. Uh, but Paul Ash, it's been phenomenal talking to you for a little over an hour now uh, about uh, your history in the business, being a phenomenal trainer, booker, and pro wrestler. But uh, thank you so much for your time, my friend. I really appreciate it. Thank you, John. It's been wonderful. I've been looking forward to being on this for a while. Um, it's great to uh, it's great to just get an opportunity to talk about stuff and to put all the youngsters over. So, yeah, thank you for having me, and uh, I'll be listening to the next few, definitely. There we go. My pleasure. Thank you, my friend.